Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah ve salatu ve selamu ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve ala. As you see, Mu'in is here to help everyone show you how to use the SoundCloud and how to use Canvas and all these things. So, uh, after class, if you want to just ask him real quick, you can do that. Well, today we're going to build, we're building on uh, what we're, the second hadith which has to do with Iman, Islam, and Ihsan. And now we're going to define certain terms and look at them and expand on them. So the first term, we're going to, what is the difference between Islam and Iman? When we say the word Islam and the word Iman, what is different and what is similar between the two of them? Okay. Islam only refers to the outward. Islam only refers to the outward form. Okay? Islam is only the outward. A Muslim is known, very clearly known. Okay? Either he said the shahada or he didn't. So it's very easy to know the difference between a Muslim and a kafir. Right? Either he's saying the shahada as a Muslim or he's not. So it's outwardly something visible and known. Okay? The opposite of a Muslim, obviously, is a kafir. And the kafir, we have to divide it into different categories. Firstly, not all the kuffar does the Islamic law treat them the same. The sharia gives a special status to certain people who it recognizes as unbelievers or disbelievers, right? But it gives them special status, and those are the Jews and the Christians, as people of the book, because uh, they do recognize the same fundamental concept of religion. They recognize Abraham, God, and the afterlife. However, it is distorted. Okay? It is incorrect and distorted. Alright? But, so it is still ca counts as disbelief. However, because of their link to the Prophet Ibrahim and their good beginnings, they had excellent beginnings. Okay? Uh, Islam, the Sharia, allots them certain more rights and space. And then the other category of disbelievers regard everyone else. Pagans, atheists, and all the other groups. Okay? All the other groups. Okay? And in Islamic law, if we were to study the Sharia, there were different rights given to certain groups that aren't given to others. Okay? So that's, the, that's easy. Now, once someone is a Muslim, at this point, there are still, the game's not over. There's still a way to go down the wrong path. Okay? And what is that? Oh, sorry about that. R rewind a second. We need to go to the second breakdown of the non-believers. Okay? There are two breakdowns. The one who is a non-believer out of ignorance. And in English, the best translation for this is an unbeliever. Because he hasn't rejected anything. He just doesn't know any better. And the second category is the rejecter of faith or the disbeliever. This is the individual who, he has heard it, he's gotten the message, and he is in active rejection of it. Okay? This is the difference. Now, in this, in our law, we don't differentiate between the two. However, okay, they're both to be non-believers. However, one of them is really almost much easier for us to deal with. And on the Yom Qiyamah, it's up to Allah Azza wa Jal to judge him. Or her, right? As for the rejecter of faith, 
openly rejecter of faith, obviously we're going to have a different position towards him. Right? But they're still both under the category of reject of, of kuffar. Okay? And uh, so this is easy. Now, once we are Muslim, we still have two paths. The path of Iman and the path of Nifaq. These are the two words you're going to write down and, and, and understand today. Iman and Nifaq. Okay? And these are polar opposites. And what is the difference between Islam and Iman? The difference is Islam, as we just said, it is obvious, it's known, it's external. Right? We know the difference between the Muslim and the Kafir. But the Mu'min and the Munafiq, which is the believer and the hypocrite, are unknown to us. Iman is something unknown to us. It is in our hearts. Only Allah Azza wa Jal knows it. Alright? Only Allah Azza wa Jal knows who is the Mu'min and who is the Munafiq. And only Allah knows whose Iman is high and whose Iman is low. Okay? And only Allah knows how we will end our lives. And the most important time is the end of your life. Right? The Prophet peace be upon him said you'll be resurrected all right, upon how you die. If you die on very high iman, that's how you, will, you, you are in the sight of Allah. Like in a match. Okay? In a match. What counts? The score in the middle of the game or at the end of the game? The only score that counts is the one at the end of the game. All right? That's the only thing that matters. So that's why we always have to be on guard. Now, how could something be so important as iman and hypocrisy? Why is that so important? The hypocrisy is not a small thing. The hypocrite, the munafiq in the sight of Allah is the worst of creation. Worse than the Satans themselves. The devil, all devils and shayateen, he is worse. So who is the munafiq? What is the munafiq? The munafiq, there's two levels and we're going to talk about the major one first. The major hypocrisy is someone who finds some benefit in Islam and therefore enters into Islam or remains to be a Muslim only because of some benefit. Like what? You're born into this religion and your family's really rich. If you were to say, I forget this Islam, they would disinherit you or cut you off. So you're stuck. So now you're forcing, you're faking it, right? Just to get access to their benefits. Or, as in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, he came in, and all of the city of Yathrib became Muslim and therefore became called Medina, city of the Prophet. Medina literally just means city. Okay? And some of the politicians, right, who were going to be the kings in Yathrib, they realized we're losing here. So they became Muslim only for that reason. And the chief of them is Abdullah, son of Ubay, son of Salud. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salud. Chief of the hypocrites, munafiks. And how does the Prophet know this? How does the Prophet know who's a munafiq? If we just said, it's in here. It's not external. Because Jibreel salam warned him. You have 12 hypocrites in the city. So be careful from them. And here's their name. Here are their names. And he gave them the names of the hypocrites. Why? So that the Prophet doesn't put them in a very important position and they cause big problems for the believers. So what are the type of actions that the hypocrites did to the Prophet? They used to pray behind him. Right after the prayer, they would praise him and said, what an excellent uh, blessing Allah has given us here. Okay, and we believe that you are the Messenger of Allah. 
Okay? But when the enemies were coming, they would make an assessment. Who's going to win? Muhammad and his people or those people? And they would then go inside with the enemies if they felt that they were going to defeat the Muslims. This was the behavior of the hypocrite. So what does the word nifaq mean? The word nifaq roots, derives from the word nafaqa, which means a tunnel. Right? A tunnel. A tunnel between two places underground. Not a bridge above ground. A tunnel underground. And the example is of a desert creature called al-yarbu'a, or the jarboa. The jarboa. The jarboa is a scared animal. It's a little tiny creature that is very scared. It can never face off against any other animal. Okay? The yarbu'a is like a desert mouse. Okay? It's like a desert mouse. A little bit bigger. Maybe like this big. It is so weak. It, any animal can defeat it and eat it. So the yarbu'a, because it's weak, doesn't do what other animals do. Like, what does a groundhog do? He digs a hole, he goes in the ground, and then he digs a nice big home for himself. He enters and exits from the same door. If you try to attack him from the top, he's going to attack you. Okay? He's going to fight back. The jarboa digs himself in, under the ground, and then digs himself one outlet, and then another outlet, and then a third outlet, until he makes himself safe. That if he goes out and he sees an enemy this way, he comes right back and he goes the other way. If he sees an enemy that way, he comes down and he goes a third route. And he keeps digging himself this why out of his cowardice and his fear. Okay? At facing the enemy. Now, the jarboa, you can give him an excuse because number one, he's an animal and his fear is of his body. The hypocrite, what is his fear to face? His own self. The hypocrite does not even face his own hypocrisy. Right? His own inconsistency and contradiction, he doesn't face it. Right? So this is the sickness of the hypocrite. And Allah Azza wa Jal described the hypocrite many times in the Qur'an. And 13 times. Immediately when you open the Qur'an, what do you have? Description of the Qur'an. Three verses describing the believers. Who's a believer? Two verses describing rejectors of faith. And then, 13 verses describing the hypocrites this is the first thing Allah feels that you should know or Allah tells us, telling us this what, we, what you should know because you, firstly you have an introduction to the book, so Allah gives us a few verses on the nature of the Quran itself then he tells us who are the believers that we should be, three verses then the kuffar, the kafir is easy he re, he's a rejecter of faith, he rejects it two verses Okay, and then third verses about this complex creature called the hypocrite the munafiq okay? and, and then uh, announcing in the Quran that the dark al-asfali min al-nar the lowest abode is for the hypocrite okay? the lowest abode in the hellfire is for the hypocrite worse than satans and devils okay? and rejectors of faith and all the and the Fir'aun and the Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and all the enemies of prophets and those who threw Abraham in the fire, and all of these enemies of prophets, okay, until the end of time, the hypocrite is worse than all of them. Because he tried to take the benefit of Islam, okay, while not believing in it, and cause a lot of trouble for the believers. 
A lot of trouble for the believers. So we ask now, how could it be that this is such an important thing? Okay? And now Iman is the opposite. The opposite is faith, is what you need for paradise. And hypocrisy is what you put you in the lowest part of hell. And then Allah tells us it's inside and you would never know it. Right? Well, it can't stop like that. So Allah Azza wa Jal and the Prophet, what did they told us? They told us it is inside of you and is inside of everyone else. No one will know it except that there are signs of it. So be careful of the signs of hypocrisy and you'll be safe from hypocrisy. And then take up and drink up the signs of Iman and you'll be a person of Iman. So now we have to look at what are these signs. Okay. What are these signs? The first sign of a munafiq, hypocrite given by the Prophet, peace be upon him, is in every time he opens his mouth, there's some lie in his speech. There's a little bit of lying in his speech as a habit, constantly. In everything he said, there's a little bit of a lie in there. A little bit of a lie in all of his speech. Okay, this is the first thing. The second thing is that the munafiq cannot ever keep a promise. He can never keep his word. In any way, shape, and form that he's supposed to keep a promise, he can't keep his promise. And likewise, he breaks the trust. If you entrust him with a job or with any amount, he cannot be trusted. Okay? Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, there can be a Jew or a Christian or a pagan and you can give him a hill of your wealth and you can trust him with it. But the munafiq, if you give him two coins, you can't trust him with it. Okay, this is munafiq. Okay. Next, the munafiq does not like to remember Allah Azza wa He does not like to remember God or afterlife. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, لا يذكرون الله إلا قليلا Okay. They do not like to remember Allah. They find no need for the remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal. Okay? And if they do, it's very little because people are watching. The next attribute of the munafiq is that they never worship Allah in secret. Yeah, in their own room or home alone. Their worship is only in front of people. They only do any act of worship if people are there. Okay? If people are there. Okay. Next one. The munafiq prefers the company of the wealthy and the beneficial for him, whether it's Muslim or kafir. He doesn't care about your ideals or your principles or your belief. He cares about benefit. This is all the munafiq cares about. If you're a kafir, he will be your best friend. If you're an enemy of God and his prophet, but he has benefit with you, he'll be your best friend. So the munafiq prefers the company of disbelievers over the company of believers. He doesn't want to be reminded or forced to do anything of worship or anything. So the munafiq prefers the company of disbelievers over the believers. Okay. Then, the biggest... We, we did it, we already mentioned, they do not like the remembrance of God or the remembrance of death because he doesn't believe in the afterlife in the first place. The biggest sign now of a munafiq is that the person who is a complete hypocrite has no fear or concern about being a hypocrite. 
He doesn't care about it. He, he, this is the last thing from his mind. He doesn't care or fear that he might be a munafiq. Why? Because what is the threat of the hypocrite? Or the threat of hypocrisy? The punishment, is it in this life? No, it's in the next life. So he doesn't believe in the next life in the first place. So he doesn't care at all about the fear of being a munafiq. Right? If you tell him that your only punishment for being a hypocrite is in the next life, well, he doesn't believe in the next life in the first place. Okay? So this type of hypocrite, which is the major hypocrite, okay? or major hypocrisy, right? al-akbar, it is someone who thoroughly does not believe in this matter at all. But they are here and stuck with the Muslims and now they have a benefit. But mind you, people can change. People can change. And the munafiq, unlike the jarboa, what is his weakness? The, munaf, the jarboa's weakness is in his body. That's how Allah created him. Right? The munafiq's weakness is in facing his own self and asking himself, do you truly believe in this matter? Yes or no? Pick one and pick a side. And be one person inside and outside. In the mosque and in the job and in the house and in wherever recreation you're at, you're one person. You're not one person in work, right? Expressing certain beliefs at work and then expressing certain beliefs in the masjid. As for expressions, that's fine. No one said you're going to have to call the adhan in the mall and pray in front of everyone and say, oh, I'm a believer, I'm, I pray wherever I am. No, this is silliness and, and idiocy, okay? You have expression is going to be different in the masjid than it is in your workplace, right? Than it is in your home. Than it is if your non-Muslim neighbor or family is over. It's going to be different. If you're in your home, you're going to put the Qur'an on and listen to it. If, you have, if your mom is not a Muslim, right, you're not going to come and try to offend her and upset her by putting on Islamic lectures while she's in the house, right? This is fine. But what did the Qur'an say? The Qur'an said, when the munafiq goes to be with the non-believers, he goes and he laughs with them at the Muslims. And he, may, he mocks their beliefs. And then when he goes to the Muslims, he supports their beliefs and praises their beliefs. This is what we're talking about as someone being, all right, two people in his beliefs. So when he's with the kuffar, all right, he will readily mock and make fun of whatever they're making fun of, right? And support whatever they support, even if it flies in the face of his religion, right? His God and his prophet, okay? But inside of the masjid and with the Muslims and with his family, all of a sudden he's a different person. This is what you never want to be. You never want to be two different people. Yet your expressions may be with wisdom different, right? Because even we know, we have a rule. For every location, there's a, de there's a decorum, right? There's a certain way to behave in every location. And even a certain way to feel. A sahabi came to the Prophet. A companion came to the, to, to the messenger. He was walking. To the Prophet, weeping. Then he saw Abu Bakr, the Sahabi Abu Bakr. And, he said, and Abu Bakr said to him, what's wrong with you? He said, I believe that I'm a munafiq. I'm a hypocrite. He said, why? He said, because when we are with the Messenger of Allah, it is as if I am a, heaven and hell are right in front of me, and the concerns of this dunya and its entertainment and its uh, recreations are far from my mind. But then when I go home to my family, we eat and we play and we laugh. And it's as if I forgot about the afterlife. So Abu Bakr said, I'm the same way. 
So he began to get upset. And they both went to the Prophet, peace be upon him, with tears in their eyes, and they said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, we are hypocrites. The Prophet said, you are not hypocrites. Right? What is it that you are saying, fearing? They said, when we're with you, it's as if we are about to enter heaven or hell. And our hearts are with Allah Azza wa Jal. When we go home, our hearts are with our wealth and our family and collecting money and enjoying ourselves and doing these things. Okay? Of course, they were in the halal, doing it in the halal way. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, if you were the way you are with me, when you go back to your workplaces and your families, if you were able to keep that same state of being, angels would come down in heaven and shake your hand for your accomplishment. But rather, you're human beings, so one hour you'll be like this, and another time you'll be like that. So the Prophet taught us, sometimes your iman could be here, and then later on, you're distracted with other things of the dunya, and this is okay, so long as it's in the halal. Okay? This is okay. This is not hypocrisy. So why are we saying this? So that you know that this is not hypocrisy. This is actually normal life. This is normal life. And we encourage this even, so that people have balance and don't burn out, because... The way that we have to practice our deen is as, as if it's a marathon and not a sprint. Right? So if you go and you try to keep up the same spirituality in the masjid as you do in your homes, okay, you're going to find yourself after three years, your head's going to pop because you're too stressed out. Rather, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, an hour, you have a time for work, and you have a time for being with your family, and you have a time for your recreation and entertainment, and you have a time for everything else. Okay? Hajj, could you tell Dawood don't mop up yet? Tell Dawood not to mop up yet. Okay? So this is very important. Alright? Sa'a wa Sa'a said the Prophet, peace be upon him. And Omar ibn Khattab, Omar ibn Khattab was described that if he's working, he's working, administering the army, the military, they looked at him, and said, we don't see a man who believes, who is a worshiper of God. He's not, he doesn't look like a worshiper, or even someone who relies upon God. This is how much, when Omar was working, he's working, right? But then, when the night came, and they saw him in the masjid, right, with his tattered thobe, we said to ourselves, this is a hermit who has nothing to do with this world. So Omar was able to master both. So that a person shouldn't confuse and feel that this is hypocrisy. That when Ramadan nights come, I'm in the masjid and I'm like a monk. Okay? And then I go to work the next morning at 9 a.m. and I'm yelling at this person and telling the person this what to do and this what to do. And, and, and getting on the phone. And, and I feel like a hypocrite. No, this is not hypocrisy. This is normal. This is the way Omar ibn Khattab was. Alright? Or that they said Omar ibn Khattab. Okay? The man once saw him in his home. He came, what did he find, Omar? He found the children of the neighborhood on his back and Omar ibn Khattab is playing with them lion and horsey and all these things. Okay? And they said, Omar ibn Khattab is doing this? Okay? Another man, he came to Omar ibn Khattab to complain about his wife. Right? He said, I'm going to go to Amir al-Mu'mineen. I'm sure Omar has it right. He went and he found, he heard in the house screaming. Screaming. And he's like, what is this? And he knocked on the door. He was afraid to knock on the door. But Omar sensed that someone's at the door. So he opened the door. He said, what is it? He said, I came to complain about my wife, but I found your wife is much louder and yelling at you much worse. 
So I was a bit surprised. So Omar Abdul Khattab said, well, my wife, she does this, and she does this, and she does this, and she does this. So I find it worthy right, to be patient if she wants to, yani, what we would say, blow off some steam, right? And yell. So I just stay quiet. Okay? So Omar ibn Khattab, he is really a master of everything. When it comes time to worshipping Allah, people think he's a monk. Like a hermit who doesn't know anything about this world. When it's time for work, well, he's the best. He's a general. He's the leader of the whole, he's, he's the uh, uh, chief of the whole army. Okay? When it comes to being with children, he knows how to play with children and make them laugh and be, uh, play with them. And when it comes to being a husband, he has patience. You think Omar, everyone's afraid of Omar, but in his house he's being yelled at. That means he's being patient, right? He's not a tyrant. He's strong, but he's not a tyrant. That's the difference, okay? If someone gets a little bit upset, all right, he's not going to be a tyrant. So this is not hypocrisy. All this is what we call being having different states, different states. This is not hypocrisy, all right? So hypocrisy, though, is that your beliefs and your expressions change. Your, your beliefs go change how, whoever you're with. This is what hypocrisy is, okay? So now, what, is the sign, what are the signs of Iman? This, the, we got to know the signs of hypocrisy because that's the worst. You got to know what's bad first. The Iman, the signs of the Iman is everything opposite to the signs of hypocrisy. The mu'min, he wishes that all of his beliefs, he never has to utter a contradiction to his beliefs. That he always speaks the truth. This is the sign of Iman. A man came to the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, would a believer commit zina, adultery? He said, it's possible. He said, would a believer commit theft? He said, it's possible. He said, could a believer be a coward? Could he be a coward, like afraid of the enemy? The Prophet said, it's possible. He said, could a believer be a liar? The Prophet said, no. A believer will never be a liar. Why? He, it bothers him on the inside that he's ever inconsistent with himself. Right? It's ever inconsistent with himself. This is why, a, a very strange thing, you'll notice it is much more comfortable and easy to live with an unbeliever who is consistent than a Muslim who you can't trust. And unfortunately, most of the Islamic world is of the second category. And this is why you find more peace of mind living in America than you do with a Muslim who you can't trust. Yeah, and he, he says he's a Muslim, all his behavior is different. He says, Allahu Akbar, inshaAllah, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, and all his behavior is different. You give him money, you don't know if you're going to ever get it back. You sign a contract, you have no clue if it's going to be upheld in court. You go to the judge, you have no clue if there's going to be a bribery happening behind your back. Okay? And then you wonder why all of these Muslims then fled to Europe and Australia and Canada and America and Sweden and Norway and these countries. Why? Because if the guy in front of you says a word, he's going to honor it. If the judge in front of you reads the law and you have uh, 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 an immigrant on one side and uh, uh, a native on the other side, he's going to side with the letter of the law. There's not going to be bribery. This is why you're more healthy actually to reside amongst the honest than the dishonest, right? And you're better off, okay, being with someone who doesn't believe at all than with someone who disrespects his religion, okay? The Muslims today is your biggest test, all right, because of the way they behave and how they crooked are they are in the head.
Okay? If they behave like that, you're better off being away from them. Why? It's going to start affecting you. You yourself will be affected. And you yourself will disparage the deen. Okay? So this is sign of iman is that a person loathes to have an inconsistency between his speech and his belief. He wants to be one at all times. Okay? He wants to be one at all times. Even some of the scholars, they found little ways not to pick a fight with someone and not to lie at the same time. There was an imam in a mosque. Right? Did I tell you this story last time? There was an imam in a mosque and he never liked to fight with the people. But he didn't agree with most of them. So a man came and he's talking and talking and talking and giving a khutbah to him, okay? And then all the shaykh is saying is, Kalam Salim, Kalam Salim, which means sound words, right? And, the, and then his student now, after the man left, said, how could you keep saying Kalam Salim, sound words, when he's saying stuff that's wrong? He said, I said the truth. The words and the sentence that he says is sound grammatically, right? <laughs> okay. That's what he intended, right? So he didn't want to lie even in these little things that people think it's a white lie, right? He didn't even want to lie, right? But he did something called tawriya. Tawriya means to take something knowing it's truthful, but knowing that the other person will not understand. So back in the day, when the Arabs had a floor made of sand. And unlike today, like back in the day, people, you just knock on your door. And the Muslims, they didn't know what to do now that they're not allowed to lie. And you couldn't go tell your daughter or your husband or your wife, tell them I'm not here. You can't do that. Because that's a lie. So what did they used to do? They used to draw a circle in the ground, okay? and then point at it and say, he's not here. Okay? So that was tawriya. All right? And this is even not good, but if you have to, so that you don't have to offend someone, or so you don't offend someone, all right? you just do tawriya, which is telling the truth, knowing that the person is going to misunderstand it. Okay? Prophet Ibrahim did it himself, because he had to. There was a king who used to rape the wife of every man in the kingdom, Right? To break the man. But he wouldn't touch your mother or your sister because he didn't think it would affect you. Ibrahim salam was passing through this kingdom and they got captured. And they came in front of this king. And Ibrahim knew what he does. So he said to her, his wife Sarah, right? He said, if he asks you who you are, say you're my sister. She says, how can we tell a lie? He said, no, you're my sister in Iman. Right? In faith. As the Quran says, believers are brothers and sisters. Right? So tell me you're my sister. And she did, and he left her alone. So when you have to, then you have to do tawriya. Okay? You have to do tawriya. Uh, they asked another sheikh, they asked him, uh, how many books have you memorized? How many mutun have you memorized? Right? Without even looking up, the sheikh said, not one. So they all left. They said, SubhanAllah, Shaykh didn't memorize anything. Some of the students said, Shaykh, he said, what? I said, not one. That could mean two, three, four, five, right? Not one, okay? So, <laughs> all right? So he knew how to do it. 
So the mu'min, he wants to be consistent. All right? In all his beliefs and principles. And what is the first reward of this consistency? Sound sleep. A sound conscience and sound sleep. And if you are consistent, your enemies will never be able to get you. Okay? The, but the first thing is you, have a, you sleep with a conscience. The munafiq, how does he sleep? Right? The one who betrays himself, how does he sleep at night? I don't know how they sleep at night, these people. Okay? So you want to be one person inside and outside. The next thing is the promises and trusts and contracts. Here's a little note about Islamic law. All right? Islamic law. Let's say me and you have an agreement. And the agreement is, all right, you're going to cut the lawn for me five times and I'm going to give you this used computer, right? A trade. Now, if one day I decide, you know what, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to give you my computer, right? So I say, forget it. And you say, well, that's your word. And I say, wait, is it haram? Did Allah say I have to give you my computer? Right? And people play this trick all the time, right? Not thinking that the contract means anything in the sight of Allah. Right? This is just man-made agreement. Well, what does the rule of law say in Islam? What is the sacred law between two parties? Is the contract that they agree upon. Right? The contract that they agree upon. So you're not allowed to go and break a contract by saying this is just man-made law. No, you can't do this. Right? So what is this, the slogan? The sharia of two parties is the contract that they agree upon. In the sight of Allah, this is as if it's sacred law. All right? So if you have to pay the rent, and here's a look, I'm leaving the country. You know, you're a student, and you've got to pay the last month's rent, and you say to yourself, you know what? I'm leaving the country. You can't prosecute me. All right? You can't affect my credit score because I'm not even from this country. Okay? So what do many students do? On the 11th month, they bounce. All right? They bounce. Okay? So what happens? They think that right, this is just a man-made law. Who cares about it? We say, no. The contract, the promise, the trust between you and another person, it's as if it's Qur'an. It's sacred law. All right? So we, the opposite of munafiq. Likewise, the sign of a mu'min is he loves to remember God and afterlife. And he has no hesitation about the issue of death. The issue of death to the believer is not about the moment of death itself and then you having crying people and, and being buried and uh, babies are crying. And all. No, this is not what the mu'min says when he thinks of death. When the believer keeps saying death and talking about death, we're talking about going to the afterlife and meeting Allah in the afterlife. Because Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, you said that the disease of the people of the end of time is that they fear death. Right? But we all fear death. Right? We don't love death. So she's making a logical statement. If the Prophet said this, the problem of the people at the end of time is that they love dunya and they fear death. Or they hate death. But Aisha says, Oh, Messenger of Allah, all of us hate death. Right? He said, No, this is not what I mean when I say they hate death. When we say death, all right, we mean meeting Allah Azza wa Jal and going to the next life. The believer knows full well that this is just a test and a dry run and real life begins after we die. 
This is what the believer knows full well. Real life begins, as the Quran say, The afterlife is the real life. And this is just um, a test. And the Prophet ﷺ said, the likeness of this life to the next life is the likeness of someone who has a dream and then wakes up. Okay? So therefore the believer loves talking about the afterlife and loves disparaging material things. And he doesn't like, like uh, materialism. Okay? Or any worldliness. Okay? And he loves remembering Allah. The hypocrite is the exact opposite. The mu'min has a belief and therefore he likes to be with the people who have those beliefs. And likewise for all people. Right? Birds of a feather flock together. People who are on the same belief, all right? They like to be with each other. I mean, we always talk about diversity, right? We like to diversify. Okay, this is a bit silly. You don't diversify your friends, do you? All your friends are people who agree with you. They may be only superficially diverse. But you're not going to have a friend who doesn't like you. You're not going to say, oh, to be diverse, let me get a friend who hates my guts in the name of diversity, right? You're not going to have diversity and saying, you know, let me get, make friends with people who hate my mom or a guy who hates my dad or a guy who hates my God or my prophet. You're never going to be friends with them. You're going to be friends with people you agree with, right? And the Prophet ﷺ gave us a little point of psychology when he said, a person's friends are on what he believes. All right, simple. You want to know, uh, in, in Mexico they say, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. I'll tell you everything about you just from your friends. List me who are your friends, and I'll tell you who you are. Okay? So he prefers and he seeks out the pious. The sign of a mu'min. Alright? Sign of a mu'min is that he observes prayer and he thinks about Allah in private. Alright? We said the munafiq only worships Allah in front of people. But the mu'min, the mu'min, he worships Allah Azza wa in front of people and in private. It's no, no difference to him. There is no difference. In fact, he would prefer to be in private. This is a sign of iman. When you say to yourself, and it shouldn't be a trick as well from shaitan, that you don't do any ibadah within the masjid, right? is that you love to be alone and doing your worship alone. That you feel much more intimacy and benefit. All right? This is a sign of a mu'min. I'll tell you where the only way it's a trick. The only trick is if shaitan uses it to discourage you from fulfilling your duties, your, your prayers in the masjid, or that you pray Turak, you pray your Maghrib, you know you're going to pray Sunnahs, and you say to yourself, you know what, I'd rather pray Sunnah by myself at home. In fact, it's a little trick, because you know that you're not praying it at home. You know that if you leave the masjid right now, you're not praying that Sunnahs. You just know it. Shaitan played a trick on you, and he said, you know, go worship Allah in private. In fact, he just wants to get you not to do the Sunnah. Okay. So, lastly, the mu'min is ghastly afraid of ever being a hypocrite because of the wa'id, the punishment and the threat that is awaiting someone who is a hypocrite. Okay? So he is extremely afraid of ever be, being a hypocrite or being labeled a hypocrite by Allah Azza wa Jal. Now we have to say something about the hypocrite. A person, right, is not solely Oh, only 100% hypocrite or 0% hypocrite. Rather, there's a spectrum. Like everything today has a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum. 
So therefore, a person may find in himself one of the signs of hypocrisy. But he also finds in himself a sign of Iman. So what is that? That is fire and water mixing in the same place. So one has to defeat the other. And Allah Azza wa Jal will judge you by the majority. Okay? Judge you by the majority. So a person, if he finds in himself a couple signs of hypocrisy, he better deal with it. If he finds with himself a lot of these signs, he better deal with it. And can someone, another question, can someone be cured of hypocrisy? Of course. Someone can have a lot of hypocrisy, but he has a little bit of iman, and that iman grows and conquers his hypocrisy. Happened in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. A Bedouin man came, and the Sahaba brought him, almost like handcuffed almost. That this man, he's, he's claiming belief in the sight of the Prophet, in the presence of the Prophet. As soon as he goes back to his tribe, he's bad-mouthing the Prophet and saying, is all this is mocking the Prophet, disrespecting him. So they captured him and they brought him to the Prophet. He said, oh, he said, oh, Muhammad, I complain that in my heart is two forces, back and forth, and I have a disease. So what was speaking at that moment? His iman. His belief was talking at that moment. He recognized in himself that he has a disease of hypocrisy. So the Messenger ﷺ put his hand on the man's chest and he recited some dua for the man, okay? And slowly the man became free of his hypocrisy and he became consistent. Now, we may not have the hand of the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? But what is the hand of the Prophet on our chest and his prayer for us now? What is it? His example. We don't have the Prophet to be in front of him, but we have so many things that the Prophet said, taught, did, and our connection to the Prophet is in practicing those things. Whether they be prayers, whether they be little behaviors, little things, big things, that is the link to the Prophet, peace be upon him, that we have until the Day of Judgment. Okay? So that's one thing. The next thing that you're going to put in your notes is, what is minor hypocrisy? There, all this we've been talking about is major hypocrisy. Literally, person doesn't believe. But minor hypocrisy is something else that can afflict all believers. Allah says in Surah As-Saf, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu lima taquluna ma la taf'alun. This means that a believer, he can have a different type of hypocrisy, which is a major sin. It's not the hypocrisy that will put him in the lowest rung of the hellfire. This hypocrisy is that he preaches something and his behavior is the opposite. And we're not even saying by accident once or twice. We're saying on purpose, constantly. Like you see, sometimes you can have a priest, right? A priest. And then he's got all sorts of a racket going behind, you know, stealing the church's money or something like this, right? Or you have a rabbi or sometimes an imam. And we're not saying one sin. Everyone can sin. No matter if you're the pope, you can commit a sin, right? If you're the whatever, mu'min, highest mu'min, you can commit a sin. But... We're talking intentional, consistent, purposeful, premeditated rackets performed by people who are preaching the good and they're doing the opposite. This is a major sin, but it doesn't remove you from iman and it doesn't make you the hypocrite that we just talked about. This is lesser hypocrisy. 
That you speak something and you preach and you do the opposite. You don't apply your words to yourself. Okay? Now the last thing for our class today is another question. We looked at the Muslim and the Kafir. And we said that's easy. We then looked at the Mu'min and the Munafiq and we said that's the hard part. That most of our life will be spent working on that. Now we have, and we said that the Munafiq, he can be healed of his hypocrisy by feeding his belief, feeding his Iman, by doing the deeds that feed your Iman. However, we haven't discussed the question of can a Muslim ever become a Kafir? Of course, we know a Kafir can become a Muslim by taking Shahada. It says, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. In front of two other Muslims, that's it. He's a Muslim. Okay? A Muslim, though, he, we must beware of certain behaviors. If we do them, they nullify all of our good deeds and they render us to be worse than the Kafir, murtad, apostate. So what are these actions that a Muslim must avoid? Just like if you have wudu, you also have to study what breaks wudu, right? What's the first thing you study when you pray? I need to make wudu. Well, they got to tell you, if you do X, Y, and Z, you lost your wudu. You got to do it again. So likewise, what causes us to be outside of Islam? Number one, any mockery or disrespect of any symbol of Islam. The mockery or disrespect of the Qur'an, on purpose. Of course, accident could happen. Yeah, and you could drop the Qur'an, you could forget the Qur'an on the ground. No, but purposefully disrespecting any symbol of the religion. Purposeful mocking of any symbol of the religion. Okay? If you mock, if someone was to mock the way that the prophets used to live, or the way the Sahaba used to live, and mock them, okay? Or mock the wives of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Or do any of these things, disrespect or making fun of them. Immediately, Allah Azza wa Jal wipes all of a person's good deeds. And if that person has any interest in themselves, they have to go take a shower from what they've said and repeat their shahada in front of two Muslims. Then maybe Allah will forgive him. Okay? This is someone who mocks the Prophet, his family, the Quran, any symbol of religion. He mocks them. Or disrespects them. Okay? And one of the tenets of Satanism is that you have to mock your pre previous religion. Whatever your previous religion was, when you become a Satanist, okay, they force you to desecrate, all right, to desecrate your sources. All right? So they force you to urinate on holy texts and stuff like this. So we're talking about mocking and disrespect. It goes without say, desecrating anything sacred immediately puts you out of Islam. Okay? Even if that person is saying La ilaha illallah while he's doing it, it doesn't make a difference. You're out of Islam. And if someone comes and, uh, let's say something it's a bit crazy, but someone goes and uh, urinates on, on a sacred text, and he says, yeah, I'm a Muslim. No, he's not a Muslim at that point. Out of Islam completely. By desecrating, mocking, or disrespecting anything of the sacred. In front of, what does the sacred mean? It means that there's a limit right there. You do not speak or even have a bad thought about what is sacred. So everything Allah brought in the Qur'an and everything from the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay? And the symbols of the religion. Okay? Next thing. Rejecting daruri knowledge. This is a vocab word that you have to know. I think we maybe talked about it last week. 
Daruri knowledge. Daruri knowledge. What is Daruri knowledge? The word Daruri means known by necessity or by default. And what is the attribute of this type of knowledge? Two things. It is the text of the Quran or the Hadith or the piece of knowledge which is explicit. Explicit means there's, it's crystal clear what it means. It's crystal clear what it means. Okay? And number two, its dissemination is widespread to the point that it was impossible to imagine that someone invented it. We call that mutawatir. If you want to write that down, you can write that down. Mutawatir. Mutawatir means it's impossible for this to have been a lie. All right, question for you. Has anyone here been to Mozambique? All right, has anyone met someone who's from Mozambique? Okay. Would it be... Put your hands on. <laughs> oh my God, really? Okay. Would it be possible? Let's say we didn't, Hajj just didn't talk right now. Or he didn't, you didn't see Hajj. Would it be imaginable that someone says to you, you know that Mozambique, it's a big conspiracy. It's a lie. It doesn't exist. Right? You're going to say it's impossible. It's on every single map. The publishers don't know each other. It's on the maps from the 50s, from the 60s, from the 2000s. On every website of the world map, it's there. It's impossible that this is a conspiracy because the people talking about it don't even know each other. This is called mutawatir, something that is so widespread, it's impossible to be a lie. Okay? So, if something has these two attributes, we call it daruri knowledge. And what is the summary of how they describe daruri knowledge? Is you take a nine or ten-year-old Muslim boy or girl and you ask them and they know it. This is how knowledgeable, how obvious it is. So what are some examples of Daruri knowledge? Right? Daruri knowledge. Who is the Prophet of Islam? Muhammad. Who is the God that you worship? Allah. Who was the first man and woman? Adam and Eve. What happens after you die? There's heaven or hell. Okay? How many prayers do we have? Five. Is alcohol halal? No. Do you eat pork? No. Where is Hajj? Is it in Jerusalem? No. It's in Mecca. You have one month of fasting? Everyone knows that. Even the non-believer knows that. So this is what we call daruri knowledge. Knowledge that cannot ever be questioned by a Muslim. If someone rejects it, he's outside of Islam, even if he professes everything else. Okay, so any Muslim who comes and says, by the way, I don't believe that Hajj is in Mecca anymore, you can make Hajj in Jerusalem. Or he says, there's not five prayers anymore. I actually think they made a mistake. It's three, right? right? You're mocking the whole ummah, and you're mocking something so obvious, and you're outside the religion at that point. This is called daruri knowledge. Someone who doesn't believe that we all came from Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were created without parents, right? He's out of Islam, Okay. Because this is so obvious. Even every other, uh, the Jews and the Christians agree upon this. Okay? So all of these are, or someone who says, I, be, I don't believe that you have to believe in Muhammad at all. Right? You could just respect him. No. Of course you have to believe in Muhammad in order to be saved. Right? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So these, is, these are all what's called daruri knowledge. And that's the second thing that will cause a person to be outside of Islam. If he rejects, Daruri knowledge which has these two attributes 
It is crystal clear in the meaning of the text or the verse or hadith, and it is mutawatir or widespread to the point that it's impossible for it to be a lie. The last thing that will put someone outside of Islam is in a dispute or a war, a war between Muslims and non-believers is to side with the non-believers against the Muslims. This is basically an act of war upon God and His Messenger and the whole community. It's an act of war on the community, and if you make an act of war on the community, therefore it's an act of war on Allah Azza wa Jal. So you're outside of Islam. So, so basically if there's a war between a Muslim and a Kafir, you cannot join the Kafir. If you join them, you are outside of Islam, period. Okay? Outside of Islam. Okay? So this is very important that someone never raises a sword on a Muslim in support of a Kafir. Okay? Now, does this mean if my colleague on the job steals from the cash register and he's a Muslim and the boss is a Yahudi, right? Am I now going to defend the Muslim? No. This is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about false witness. We're also not talking about supporting any non-Muslim. This is not what we're saying, right? You can support and you can have good relations and you can do a lot of things with kuffar. That's fine, right? Absolutely fine. But you do not raise arms with the kuffar on the Muslims or else you're out of Islam. Now what happens if someone does these things? He has to take a full ghusl. He has to take a, ba- a, wa- a shower, wash himself symbolically, okay? Because Allah said, إِنَّمَا الْمُشْرِكُونَ najas. He has to wash himself symbolically, make repentance in his heart, and, and change his opinion publicly by saying, I used to believe this, now I believe this. Right? That's it. And he said, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, now he's back. And maybe if he perfects his Islam this time around, Allah will give him his good deeds back on his scale on the Day of Judgment. Okay? So this is very important. Now, one thing that we don't have to say is the person who openly sloughs off the identity of a Muslim and says, I'm not a Muslim anymore. This is as if someone went to court and says that he's guilty. So there, we don't need to have a case, right? There's not to need to be a court case if he's pleading guilty. So someone who openly states, I'm not a Muslim anymore, then we don't even need to discuss it. We need to discuss those people who uh, do these things, okay? And, uh, and there are some other things, such as if you perform an act of worship to another god. right? You might ask yourself, why would anyone perform an act of worship to another god. I'll tell you how it happens very often, and I'll tell you amongst whom. Guyanese and Indians. It happens all the time. Why is that? Guyanese guy marries a Hindu woman. Right? Marries a Hindu woman. Or he marries a convert from Hinduism to Islam. Then they go, and they're pressured to go with them to the temple. Right? and to pray with them, and to do the rituals, and to jump over brooms, and light fires, and walk around fires, and do all of these paganistic rituals, right? And you couldn't find it in yourself to say, this is not my religion, I'm not doing the acts of worship of another religion. And I'll tell you who else it's coming to, too. A lot of people who are training to be chaplains or are in interfaith groups, some of these interfaith groups they all do the worship of the other as a way of unifying, like in the name of unity and the name of being together. 
So they all do the worship of one person on one day, and they all do the worship of another person on another day. And we say, this is a load of hogwash. You would never do that. All right? This is your God you're talking about. All right? This is not unity. This is your God. Are you going to pass your wife around to your guests? Right? You would never even think to do that. Right? What do you, back in the day, they used to have parties. Everyone puts their name in the hat, and you pick out the wife of the other guy, and you take her home for the night. Right? This way you just do that stuff. You wouldn't do that with your wife. You're going to do that with your God? and turn your back on your God one day for the sake of some kind of gimmick, right? So this is the type of thing that you have to be careful of because if you do it, you're nullifying all of your past and you're nullifying your whole Iman and how could you even have the heart to do that, right? So this is basically something very important to keep in mind of that you cannot do an act of worship. But can I, if there's a funeral or a wedding at a church or a temple or a synagogue, can I go and attend? You can go. Yeah. If there's a church, a wedding at the church, right? A wedding at the temple, a wedding at whatever, you're allowed to go. But you do not take part in any act of worship. And you don't say, okay, let's everyone raise their hand and make a dua. Stay away from these things. Even though let's say, okay, well, I'm making dua to Allah. Yes, but they're all making dua in a big kumbaya circle. Stay away. Keep the religion separate from the social, right? So you can socialize with them. You could attend their funerals. You could go to their weddings. You could do all these things, but you're not going to do worship with them, right? Or else you nullify. And this is never a subject, really, in the books of the olden times because Muslims lived with Muslims and no one ever thought to do that. And even when Jews and Christians and Hindus were there, there was no interfaith. It was like, okay, that's your religion, this is mine. We're not going to mix the two. In fact, in India, it happened around the 1700s with a ruler named Akbar. And this guy, they even name a restaurant after him. Okay, this guy, Akbar, he tried to mix all the religions into one. He tried to mix them all them into one, right? So then they said, okay, well, who's the God? If they're all the one, then what do we name God? Right? And he got all the weak-minded people from the Muslims, weak-minded people from the Christians, weak-minded people from the Hindus, right? And brought them all together and said, let's make one religion. Then they had one problem. Who's, who are we going to worship? He gave a solution. Me. <laughs> okay? He made himself the God. Okay? And he even mocked the religion by saying, don't you all realize what are they saying every day? Five times a day at the minaret? Allahu Akbar. Right? Allah is Akbar. And he's, my name is Akbar. So that's what he said about himself. Right? He called it the primordial natural religion in which he was the God. So the Muslims, of course, declared him a kafir immediately, right away. All right. There's not even a, a question about it. All right, so this is what we covered today. Islam and kufr and iman and hypocrisy and how a person can go from kufr to Islam. That's easy. And how someone could go from Islam to kufr. Right? And we call this ridda. And ridda, the murtad, the apostate, he's worse in the Islamic law than the kafir. The kafir, he's just being how, who he is. But the murtad, he was in Darul Islam and now he's out. Okay? He was inside of Islam and now he's out. Alright? Is, are they equal? Someone who is not working, let's say you have a company. Or you have a family. Someone who is not part of your family. Is he equal to someone? Or someone who was part of your family, then had a nasty divorce, then left your family. Are they equal? 
No. The one who was never part of your family, you have no problem with him. But the one who was part of the family, had a nasty divorce, and left, is very bad, right? You, keep, you stay away from him, right? You keep your whole family. They don't, the women, when they get a divorce, they don't even say the guy's name anymore. They just say him, right? They don't even utter his name anymore, okay? So likewise, the murtad, who is apostates out of Islam, his record is wiped clean. All his wealth goes to the state. His businesses, everything is wiped clean, all right, as if he didn't exist. That's a little in Islamic law, which we don't have to cover. All right, any questions? Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Shoot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Medicine man. The medicine man, it is acceptable to go to a medicine man if he's using physical means that you could test. So what's the difference between basically science and religion when it comes to these things? If it's something I could test, right? Like eat this and you won't have a cold anymore. I could test it, right? But sprinkle some powder over your head, swing these words over your head, you can't test, no. No, this is not physical. So we would say you could go to a natural doctor who uses natural means that should be applicable to the believer and the non-believer and not someone who goes and does medicine man and all these things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, like a, like a bus driver. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I see, yeah, but you're not engaging in it though, right? You're not engaging in it. He has the right to do that act of worship, right? And it's, it, you, it is okay for you to go and facilitate for them to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yani, the Muslim man, he's allowed to marry a Christian woman and he has obligated by Allah to allow her and facilitate a space in the house for her to worship in her religion, right? There's nothing wrong with that. If it was like a... Uh, 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 you you wouldn't huh? If a if a Muslim man marries a Christian woman or a Jewish woman, he is obligated to facilitate for her a room in the house where she could do all of her acts of worship. Right? That would be her church in the house or her synagogue in the house. However, outside of that room, she's not to be hanging up anything else that would influence the rest of the family. Do all, all, all four methods agree on this? All four methods agree on that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. They said if you marry a Christian woman, the man is obligated to contact the woman. He's not obligated, but Allah Azza wa Jal knows that he would want it, so he hasn't obligated it. In fact, all he has said is the opposite. He said he's obligated to facilitate for her to continue her practice, right? Uh, but obviously, a Muslim would want anyone that he loves to be a Muslim, right? But is not obligated. It's not haram. It's a valid marriage. Yeah, it's a valid marriage. No, the opposite cannot happen. A Muslim in the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jal has given 
he's given Allah Azza wa Jal, he's given the man the obligation to honor and respect her religion. But in the Bible and the Torah, there is no such command to the Jewish and Christian men that you must facilitate Islam for your Muslim wife, right? Obviously, because Islam came later. So it's impossible. Therefore, it's not allowed for a woman to put herself under the roof of a Muslim man, of a Christian or Jewish man, or a pagan, but it is permissible. And also, permissible doesn't mean recommended. It's permissible, right? And Omar ibn al-Khattab, when he saw the Muslim soldiers going to Egypt, then marrying the Christian women of Egypt, okay, he scolded them and prohibited them. And he said, why, when you have Muslim women, who is going to marry them if all of you are marrying Christian women, right? So he prohibited them. So he recognized it's halal. What does it mean it's halal? It means it's not zina. It's not fornication. It's not adultery in the sight of God. But does God love it? Maybe, maybe not, right? If you're stuck, if you're stranded off of a boat and you ended up uh, on the shores of some land, what are you going to do with your life, right? Or if it just so happens, someone and you love them. It could happen, right? But uh, as a regular habit that we encourage and we celebrate and clap up and down, that's not going to happen, no, right? And some of the Muslim men, they have a myth about the Jewish and Christian women as if something is different, right, about them. They're not, they're women like other women, and you recognize right after there's nothing more attractive or better. But if it just so happens to be that way, it's not ha zina for him. It's a valid marriage for him. Yeah. And the hope is that he will bring her into Islam. And most the case is, if the man is an upright man, example, this is the best. But what is the worst case? he forces her into Islam, then he himself is a munafiq or he's a bad Muslim, she's going to end up leaving Islam as well. And we've seen examples of this. Muslim man brings his wife into Islam, okay, then he misbehaves towards his convert wife, and as, as what happens? She's gone from Islam, and the sin is on that man, right? Sin is on that man. Any other questions? Minhazul, you had a question? Oh, uh, yeah. Um... The question about Iman versus Islam, you said Islam is the outward appearance and Iman is like what's inside. What's inside? Can you just go a little more? Islam, every mu'min, he must be a Muslim first. But not every Muslim has completed his Iman. A Muslim, his Iman may be weak and he may be a munafiq and he may be an admixture and he may go through all of these phases all in his life. Okay? So Muslim always is just the outward Okay? Oh, just the outward. But the mu'min, even yani, we said Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. He's the worst of the hypocrites, and they say that he has the lowest position in the fire. Alright? Why is that? He was praying right behind the Prophet. That's where he was for 10 years, praying right behind the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, and seeing the Messenger every single day. Yet he still didn't believe. How sick can you be? Right? So for what he died, uh, maybe 8th year of the Hijra or ninth year of the Hijra. He didn't believe. He was a hypocrite, munafiq. Right? So this is why we don't judge the outward of a person. We can only say he's a Muslim or he's not. But we cannot say his iman is high and his iman is low. We could say, yeah, and he has the signs of that only. Yeah. How can you tell how, how, much, uh, how much strength is your belief? A person can judge himself. We can all judge ourselves. We all know if we're doing good or bad. And it's by our actions and by our love. 
if we start loving, if we start obsessing over entertainment and materialism, then we're on a downward. You can allow yourself to do that like if you were dieting. They say work out and diet and one day a week you get to entertain yourself and have ice cream and whatnot. We, as the Prophet said, Sa'a wa sa'a. We work hard on our iman and one hour a day you should unwind yourself, right? But if you find yourself spending five, six hours, I don't understand the brothers, what's got in their heads, sitting in front of the NFL all day. You know who's allowed to do that? The guy who never prayed and never fasted and never did anything like that and now he's starting to, do, to be on his Islam again. Then all you care about that he's praying, alhamdulillah, he's not in the nightclub, right? But a guy born Muslim, in, integrated into the community. He hears the khutbah every day. Then you're going to spend 12 hours in front of the NFL watching the games? There's something in your head that's wrong, right? Either you're like a surgeon who really need, deserves a break, or a pilot on an airplane who really like is driving around for four days in a row and really deserves a break. But if you're a regular guy like one of us working eight hours a day, you waste a whole day of the week, 17 days a year, and then add three more for the playoffs, right? This is, uh, it's discouraged, huh? Hockey? Hockey game is only one hour. Talking about, man. You don't even know what you're talking about, okay? This is ibadah, okay? Now the only time someone could do something like this is if he sits with his whole family, and he's enjoying themselves. But it's not going to be 12 hours a day. I'm telling you, these brothers, these guys wake up. The guys wake up at, what, 9 a.m.? The pregame show starts. He gets his breakfast. He sits in his chair, okay? And he's sitting there from 11, the first game goes, all the way to 10 p.m. All day. So this is just makruh. They talk about how the NFL is the new religion. It is. They, they own a day of the week. They stole it from... The church. The NFL stole Sunday from the church. Yeah. It owns a day of the week, the NFL. Yeah. Anything else anyone has to say? All right, so make sure you have good notes. The notes will be uploaded and the lecture will be uploaded. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Anyone need help with Canvas?